0: I don't know about you, but this year I'm sending it on New Year's, okay? I got, like, 17 New Year's resolutions. I'm just going to go for it, okay? I'm just, like, diet, exercise, reading my Bible, reading my books. I'm going to, like, go for every single one this year and just, just see maybe one will stick. Maybe one will, like, stand on the wall and it'll just hang there and it'll, it'll, it'll change my life, right? Um, anybody else Anybody else got New Year's resolutions? Just, like, no? Just, like, no, not me. Not, New Year's same me this year. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm just kidding. Um, well, most people like New Year's resolutions, um, and here's why. Because New Year's resolutions, they're different than just like this one-time momentary thing. But they, they give us this kind of opportunity to add in a new habit or a new, a new practice to our life. Because intuitively, we know that habits or practices or what we do on a daily basis, that is what forms us to be who we are. That's why New Year's resolutions are a thing, because you're thinking, this year, if I could just eat right, I'm going to feel better. Or this year, if I can just exercise, I'm going to cut off whatever LBs I put on over COVID. This year's the year, right? And, and it's not just a momentary thing. But you think, if I can get this practice or this habit into my life, I might be able to change a little bit. That's intuitive. That's actually how we are as human beings. And it's why we're actually in, even in the series, right? We're closing a series um, next week. We, we took a little pivot in, in Advent. And then we kind of just dropped back into the series. But it's called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Because we want to be people who look like Jesus and who love like Jesus and who live like Jesus, but lest we try to do something without practicing or becoming like that person, right? I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, in order to um, have the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So that's what we've been talking about. For the whole, basically, since August, we've just been talking about the way of Jesus, who Jesus is, how he lives, how he goes about his life. And what we get to see this morning is, is, is the effects of that life. See, as human beings, we're kind of like a sponge, right? Like whatever is in a sponge, when it's squeezed, it comes out, right? Whatever's on the inside of that sponge, when it's squeezed, that's what comes out of the sponge. That's how we are as human beings. And we get to see in a moment, we get to see Jesus pressed, squeezed. And we get to see his lifestyle in effect. We get to see what happens when he gets squeezed and what comes out of who Jesus is. And then we want to look at it and mirror that and try to be in love and look like Jesus. let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the moments that we get to share together this morning. I have nothing new to offer this morning, so we don't need necessarily just new information, but we, we we need you. We don't need another idea or another thought, but we need to meet with you this morning, so we just invite you. You so say you inhabit the praises of your people. So even as we praise and we lift your name up this morning, we, we want to see you. We want to experience you. We want to savor you. We want to love you more as a result of this morning. So would you come, Holy Spirit, minister to us. Amen. Well, here's what I'm going to do this morning, okay? If you, this is the perfect morning if you've got your Bible out, just to kind of have it open, propped up on your lap. Because I'm going to basically be kind of walking through the story line by line. I'm going to read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little. And we're just going to kind of work our way through this story that we saw this morning. Because what the story does is it zooms in right on the heels of what we, what we talked about last week, which was the Last Supper. The final meal. right? Jesus and his disciples, G, uh, Jeremy preached on it last week, but it's his final teaching. His demonstration, his teaching, and ultimately his prediction of his own death. It's right on the heels of Jesus saying, all of you will abandon me. All of you will leave me. Right on the heels of Peter saying, not me though, right? Like everybody else, but not me, Jesus. Everybody else will do it, but I'm your God. Like you can take that to the bank. And Jesus responding to Peter saying, you are going to deny me three times before the sun rises tomorrow, my boy. Seemingly moments right after this, Jesus goes right after he shares this word with Peter and he comes up to James and John and Peter, kind of his big three. And he says, all right, boys, let's go. I need to pray. And they look at each other with mystery and anticipation. Right. The last time that these three were together, it went down. They said, we went up to the mountain. Jesus was there. Elijah was there the prophets we you know, wanted to build a tent Jesus was like no and then, then it was like all oh, shiny it was amazing right it was incredible it was a moment of of power and strength it was a moment of revelation that they saw that Jesus was not just a man but that he was God that he was not just there in his humanity but in his deity and they saw who he really was so you can imagine the anticipation of the three right they, they walk with Jesus but this time the vibe it just feels a little different Jesus is a little quieter not looking at each other, whispering, not talking as loud. And He leads them to this garden, a place called Gethsemane. It's a place where the olives from the neighborhood, well, they would, they would be crushed for their oil. The word Gethsemane literally means oil press, which is definitely symbolic in a way, but the boys, James, John, and Peter, they're probably way too tired to see what's happening. See, I don't know if you know but olive oil is like on a big comeback tour. Okay, It was a big deal then and it's a big deal now. Um, my, my dad is like all about this stuff. This is what he told me the other day. He said, the only reason you eat food is to try to get olive oil in your body. I was like, that." I think you're a part of an olive oil like Colts, bro, because I don't know what's happening. But it's like a big deal. Olive oil is like the thing. Um, I don't know. But, but, but even then, they, they used it for basically everything. It wasn't just for food, but they would use it for, for perfume, for soap, even lights and medicine. It, it, it was one of the most highly valued things in, in the time. It was a remedy to nearly everything. Flavor, dirt, darkness, sickness. It was like the original Delterra. We got all the oil jokes today. Let's go. However, the only way to get the olives into actual olive oil was that you would have to crush them, to smash them, to press them until the oil itself would come out. And see, everything Jesus is doing, everything he does is completely intentional. Everything he does even as he takes this boy, the, the boys down here to pray to the garden, it's saturated in foreshadowing imagery. That the only way to life, the only way to forgiveness, the only way to healing is through death, and the crushing and the pressing comes forth the oil. Jesus is hinting at where they're at and what he is about to do, that he's about to be crushed, that forgiveness and life and healing might flow from him. Isaiah says this, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's only through Jesus being crushed that God's promises can be fulfilled. It's how things work. It's how they work in us. Only through death can new life come. And it's what Jesus is foreshadowing as he takes them, not just to a random garden, but to Gethsemane, the oil press where the oil is smashed so that new life healing might flow From it. And see, the last time he took these three boys, he was showing them his deity. He was showing them that that I am not only just a man who can heal and deliver and restore, but I am God. But here he's giving them a deeper window into his humanity. See, Jesus, who's 100% sinless, 100% righteous, in him is no darkness at all, 100% God. Not one spot on his resume that would cause you to bat an eye. But he gives us a window into the depths of human emotion right here. Not, not just the heights, but the depths of it, right? Verse 33 says this. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And then in verse 34, Jesus even has the, the wherewithal to even name exactly what he's feeling. Right, what Joe just read, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I had a friend the other day who's a a coach who who does some men's like coaching calls and Bible studies. And he has something really insightful that he said to me the other day. He said, it's amazing how hard it is to get guys to be able to name what it is that they're feeling. He said, but when you name it, that's actually where the freedom comes from. More than just a solution to the problem that they're having, but having the ability to name the feeling that you're going through is what brings freedom and transformation. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I love this about Jesus. He names it, modeling for us what it means to be human, the perfect human, the measure of what it means to be a whole and healthy human. And he can name exactly what he's feeling. He says, I am overwhelmed. And if Jesus can say he's overwhelmed, so can you. If Jesus can say, I have sorrow, deep sadness, so can you. It's not weak. Unless you want to call Jesus weak, but that's, that's a Jesus juke right there. If you've ever been Jesus juke, there it is. Like you want to call Jesus weak, poof, Jesus juke. But seriously, what, what, are you, what are you feeling right now? See, because feelings are not good or bad. They just are. And they're actually a signpost to point us to something deeper, normally leading you to the actual place where God wants to meet you. Pete Kazari says it this way, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. But listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. See, emotional health and spiritual health they're inseparable. You can't be emotionally unhealthy and spiritually healthy. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. And I man, even personally, about 18 months ago, like in, in, in some way, we, we all experienced some form of change or grief or uncertainty. But, but for me, the pandemic and the, and the quarantine I had this unique difficulty. See, I'm an extrovert. I do ministry in person. And I got all of that taken away like in a moment. It was gone. I, I had everything. Just felt like a little bit different. And 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 my purpose, my identity, who I was, what I did. It just it felt for the first time. It felt rattled. It felt shaken. And and here was my probably two years ago. Here's my working theory on emotions. Okay, happy is good. Sad is bad. Okay, that was that was what I had. That was like that was was not a very deep human being, I guess, but. But for the first time in my life, like I, could, I could not seem to find the energy or the joy that it always felt so natural to me. It felt like there was this hole inside of me that, that not enough loud worship could fill up or not enough Netflix could drown out. And for a couple months, I just had this ache in my stomach that I could not shake. Waking up in the morning felt hard. Getting out of bed, motivation, it all just felt completely different. But in this journey, there's a couple moments that like really stood out to me. And they all had to do with me naming, me, me being able to name what it was that I was feeling. First with my wife, then a close friend, and then ultimately, even with God. See, see, I tried for months just to get past it, just to get through it. I felt like I should be feeling one way, but I quite literally could not get myself, I couldn't get myself there. And then Kayla, who is like a counseling psychology major, which is great most of the time and sometimes not great. Um, she told me, hey, you need to stop trying to feel a certain way and just feel. It was like the top popped off. It was like for the first time I sensed freedom in a long time. And I read the scriptures differently. The Psalms began to come alive to me. That it was the language of the heart, like Pete Scazzaro said, that I could feel the depths of what I was feeling. I, I, felt, I felt empty. I felt hurt. I felt sad. I was struggling. And I'm I'm definitely not like hearing, I'm not advocating that we just follow our emotions and our feelings. That would be like a terrible idea. But what I am saying is that even as we see in Jesus, our emotions and our feelings are a pathway for us to meet God. And it helps as we mirror Jesus, if we can name it, name it in the same way, pause before the Lord and just say, what am I feeling? And see how God might wanna meet you there. And then we can name it to people and then ultimately we can name it to God. And here's why Hebrews 4 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, right now, this is even a picture of that verse. It says, he knows everything you're going through. Fully God and fully man, he understands. You have a great high priest who stands in the gap and is not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he knows. He knows exactly what it's like. He knows what it's like to have his friends abandon him and reject him. He knows what it's like to feel alone. He knows what it's like to experience prayer that remains unanswered, to be tempted with wealth and power, to experience a friend dying, to grieve the loss of a loved one. He knows, he understands, he's felt it all. And see him experiencing it right here. that's, That's what we see. We see him experiencing the depths of human emotion. And then it says that he falls on his face in praise. And I love this because on, only a few times in the gospels do we actually get a window into the prayer life of Jesus, right? We hear his teachings on it. We know that he got away like all the time, but there are only a few moments where we actually get a window in to see what is he actually saying? And that's what we get to see right here. We get a window into Jesus' prayer in actually a moment of anguish formerly known as the Gethsemane prayer itself, and how he starts is so important. He starts with this, Abba, Father. He starts with intimacy. Abba, best translated Papa or Dada, it's this this phrase used for a father when you are a child, when you cannot quite say father or give them their actual title, but it's just from your heart and your soul, and you say Dada or Papa, that is the best translation. And this is how you were made to connect and communicate with God. As a little child praying to your father. And we know this, right? The scriptures say this, John 1. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's who you are. Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. 1 John 3. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And you know this, but I'm asking, do you really know that you are meant to enter into prayer with God as a child and see him as your ever loving, ever gracious, ever consistent, ever gentle father? See, because your prayer life is only as deep as your awareness of your sonship. Your awareness of being a son or a daughter is where a deep life of consistent prayer is birthed nowhere else. So it's the new year, like Cam. How many times are you going to reference the new year? But I love the new year, guys. Okay, Just seeing if you're still awake. Um, it's the new year, and everybody looks back at their 2021 prayer life, and I don't know a single soul who's like, "Yeah, crushed it, prayed exactly how much I wish I would have, maybe a little too much, could pray a little less in 2022." Like nobody says that, right? Dallas Willard he says um, he says we're all beginners in prayer. There is no expert in prayer. I know no expert in prayer because we're all beginners. And at least that's definitely what it feels like. But can I say, like our problem and our struggle with prayer, it is not a discipline problem. It is not a devotion problem. It is not because you just can't get yourself to pray more. It's way, way deeper than that. Prayer is not a discipline issue. It's a dependency issue. See, because if you still see God as your coach or your boss or your distant master who's far away from you, but not a loving father, your prayer life will be completely short circuited forever. Because all of those things are someone calling the shots for you, but ultimately it's dependent on you. Like, I used to have a buddy who, who was a wrestler. And wrestlers love this kind of stuff, but he had, a, he had a bumper sticker. We don't do bumper sticker Christianity anymore, really, but he had a bumper sticker. It said, God is my wrestling coach. I was like, that is dope when I was in high school. And I love it, right? Like, that's great. I, I, I see the meaning and the intention. It's like, nobody else is going to coach me but the Lord, right? Which is great. But that, that mindset, right, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's that we think, we think that God has given us this cosmic game plan, and now it's on me to execute it. And that is completely contrary to how prayer works. That is completely contrary to how our relationship with God even works. See, God is our father. It's not our coach. And every breath we take, every move we make is completely and totally and utterly dependent on him. That's why what Jesus says in Luke 18 is is the pathway to prayer. He says no one can experience the kingdom of God unless they receive it like a child. So what Jesus is trying to reveal to us, even in his darkest moments, is that he is deeply aware of who his father is. Abba, Dada, Papa, not enough wisdom in the world could graduate him past that. See, the more childlike your prayers are, the more real they are. But the reality is that this gets way harder even, the, even the, more, the older we get, the more spiritually mature we get. Because the natural tendency in life is the older we get, the more mature we get, the more independent we get, right? Like, my parents used to drive me to school, and then you turn 16, and then you can drive to school independent, Right? You move away from home. You're no longer counting on your parents to pay for you or buy your stuff anymore. Like if I preached this sermon and I went back and I slept in my mom's basement, you'd be like, Cam, hey, bro, come on. Can we really trust anything you're saying? Like you stay with your mom. Like, come on. Right? That's, that's different. It's, as we grow as human beings, we become more independent. But the Christian life is literally the exact opposite. The longer we walk with God, the more dependent we become on him. And this is what Jesus is revealing. Once again, he says to be fully human is to be completely dependent on your father. Jesus, in this moment, like the moment that he's about to go through, the moment that he was sent to earth to execute, right before it, you don't see him in the mirror being like, yo, daily affirmations, let's go. You were literally made for this, Jesus. Come on, right? Even though he could have, he was. He's not saying, come on, big dog, let's do this thing. This is what we're for. Let's go. Right? Now it's him falling on his face saying, Dad, I don't know if I can do this. I need you. So prayer, it starts with intimacy and it cannot, like, it cannot graduate past that. But it moves from intimacy to faith. Right? Jesus, after he says, Abba, Father, he says this, he says, Anything is possible for you. You can do anything. There is not one thing that is too hard for you. And sometimes we, we're quick here to jump to the your will be done portion, which I'm going to get to in a second. And it, it is the crux of what prayer is and what Jesus is hinging on here. But if we jump there when we read, that's, that's how, how you read it is how you live it. So if we jump there when we're reading, we're, we'll definitely do it when we're praying. And don't we? Like look, before, before I get there, let, let, me, let me say this. This is what Jesus is not doing he is now trying to cover all his bases to let, to, to let God off the hook before his answered prayers, right? He's, he's not saying, well, God, let your will be done and offer me some perspective as I'm going. No, Jesus actually knowing exactly what is about to happen still has the audacity to say, is there any other way? Because anything is possible for you. You can do literally anything you wanna do. So is there any other way? Can you do it? Can you take my cup? Can you take this from me? He knew exactly why he was sent. He knows precisely the reason he was sent. It was to drink the cup. The cup being the imagery of the wrath of God poured out for sin and the rebellion against God. He was on a mission to drink that cup. To drink it for all of humanity was quite literally why he was here, but he still asks. There is no mystery here with Jesus as to what's happening or what is about to happen, but he still asks. So let me just say this. How much more should we continually ask and say and beg God saying anything is possible for you when we are surrounded with mystery none of us are quite sure what's happening or what's going on or what's going on in our own lives or why things are happening to us we should continually ask God and say in faith God anything is possible for you and that's the kind of church that we want to be we don't want to be a church that just says hey God let your perspective give us some perspective let your will be done we We want to say that, but ultimately, we want to pray big prayers. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray that God would deliver people. We want to pray for salvation. We want to believe in a God who can do anything. I want to believe in a God who can bring a prodigal home in the snap of a finger or break through and bring healing to your heart and soul and repair relationships. We want to believe in a God who can do that because we are praying church. That's what Jesus says. He says, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is impossible with you, God. But prayer, which is rooted in intimacy, moves to faith, and then it ends in surrender. Right? He says this, anything is possible for you, but not what I want, what you want. See, a life of surrender is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. To live surrendered is to live obedient. To live surrendered is to walk by faith. To live surrendered is what it looks like after you are emotionally healthy, and it's to live With and experience the freedom that God has promised for us. Has anybody in here ever taken an ice bath in their life? (sighs) The ice bath. Today is maybe one of the worst days in history because it's so cold. Like I have a fear of the cold, right? Like when it's even when it's in in the summer, I just bring a hoodie with me just in case like the coffee shop might be a little bit too pumping on the AC, right? Like I'm just I hate being cold. Okay. But 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 in college, I used to take ice baths like three or four times a week, which is terrible. Like I, I used to hate it. But here's how an ice bath goes, okay? You touch the water, and you realize it is way too cold for any human being to ever be in that water. And you touch it again, and you realize, i got to do this. So you put your foot in, and then eventually you just sink all the way into the ice bath. You just give in, and you have to sit in it. And then you actually, you actually relax after that. It takes a little bit, but then you relax. Well, that's, that's a lot like what it looks like to surrender and yield to God. It rarely feels good. It rarely looks good. It rarely can even make sense in the logic of your mind. But at the core, what it is, it's, it's, it's letting go. It's releasing control. when control is one of those elusive pursuits that we are always after. But it is the pathway to freedom. So there's this weird supernatural peace that comes when you loosen your grip on things. and You just let go and surrender to Jesus. People have been walking with Jesus for a long time. They know this peace. It's hard sometimes for young people to really understand, hey, hey, it's freedom on the other side of surrender. But it's the pathway and it's actually the heart posture of what it means to follow Jesus, to let Jesus be Jesus. And it's actually, what, it's actually right here what makes our frustration lies in our walk with God. And it's even what we see next, right? Like, like Jesus goes off to pray. He tells the boys, fellas, just stay awake and pray while I, go, while I go right over here. And I don't know about you, but I just imagine him, right? Like Jesus, like I'm gonna go pray. You guys just stay awake and pray. If I'm Peter, I'm saying. All right, stay awake. Stay awake, stay awake. Come on, stay awake, Peter. Like slapping himself in the face and then his eyes closed. Next thing he you knows, Jesus in his face saying, bro, come on, I just said stay awake. Goes back and prays. The boys look at each other, come on, like we got this. Stay awake, let's try something else don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. And their eyes, which even the scriptures are honest about, they're just heavy, too heavy. They fall. The next thing you know, Jesus is right back in his face saying, hey guys, come on, can you just stay awake with me? Right, it says this, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said, are you asleep? Couldn't you just watch for one hour, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation? The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can, can anybody relate to that? Like I want to do the right stuff so bad. I, I want to. I have this desire in my mind of who I want to be and what I want to do. But there's this gap between who I am and who I wish I was. but my, Between my desires and my actual lived experience, there's a gap there. I want to kick that habit. I want to get over that, but I just... Can't. It's 2022. It's my year. It's the new year, guys. We can do it. But our flesh is weak. Jesus is saying, guys, your desire is there. The spirit, your attitude, you want to, but your flesh is weak. And it's that line right there that makes what Jesus is about to do so incredible. See, so he wakes the boys up. He says, let's go. It's go time. And Judah shows up. The guards meet him with the betrayal of a kiss, and the guards sees. Jesus. And it's in that moment that Peter, all of a sudden, he wakes up, right? He pulls out his sword. And the other, other version says that he cuts the ear off the guy. The other versions even say his name is Malchus. Shout out Malchus. But he cuts the ear off of Malchus. And what happens next is altogether scandalous. The ear falls to the ground and Jesus bends over. See this in the other translations. Jesus bends over. He grabs the ear. He puts it on Malchus in. As if to say... Peter, I don't need you, man. You're not the one here, Peter. You're not the hero, Peter. Peter, and he tells him, put your sword away. Put your sword away, Peter. I don't need you. All that you have to offer, all all your passion, Peter, I'm so thankful for, but I do not need it. I'm the savior here, Peter, not you. Can I say that is what surrender is? It's to let Jesus be Jesus. I mean, how often do we, do we come in here or agree with our mind that we love Jesus, that he's the one who saved us, that he set us free, that it's him, that it's all about him. But then we keep pulling our swords out, our cute little swords, our efforts, our strivings, our dealings, our comings, our goings. We try to do everything. We, 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 we receive grace, but then we try to live in our own strength, in the flesh, on our own power. Thankful for all you've done, Jesus but I got it from here. I can do it by myself now. Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, who's bewitched you? Are you so foolish? That which began in the spirit, is it now being perfected in the flesh? Can I say, is it not all about Jesus? The one who saved us, the one who became sin so that we could become righteous, the one who is all sufficient in and about himself and chose to freely give his life on the cross, is he not also then the one who can sustain us? So often I pull, I don't know about you, I just I pull my sword out. I say, I got this. I can do it this time. Friends, all of our striving, all of our efforts, all of our disciplines, all of our practices, like they are nothing if it's not for Jesus. They're nothing if it's not for him. We are not enough. We are insufficient. Our flesh is weak. We have no hope in and about ourselves. We can't change ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We are utterly hopeless if it's not for him. He's enough. So I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if there's a mountain ahead of you that seems just way too big or if you just feel like this past year has just been a valley that you just can't even get your eyes up to see what's next. I just say he's enough. He's enough for you. what we're going to do here in the next couple moments is, is we're just going to worship him. We're just going to sing. And for, for, for a few moments, we're just going to try to take our eyes off of ourselves. And we're just going to try to look at Jesus. It's all about him. We don't have any in and about ourselves. So, so, so what we're going to do is we're just going to sing to him. And we're just going to, we, we might not have any answers. We might not have any uh, specific next steps. But can I say, the, the answer to your prayer life is seeing Jesus for Jesus. The answer to your next year, your next season of life is to see Jesus for Jesus and to let Jesus be Jesus and to surrender and to say, God, not my way, but your way And to see Jesus. So we surrender and we worship and we look at him and we let Jesus be Jesus. We let him step before us to be our intercessor. We put our swords away. We just put our hands up and we say, I can't do it, but you can. Let's pray.